from the Film Society of Lincoln Center. You're listening to The Close-Up. This week, we're sharing the New York Film Festival press conference for The Favorite, which was the festival's opening night selection this year and begins its official theatrical run this weekend. For the conversation, director Yorgos Lanthimos joined writer Tony McNamara and cast members Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Joe Alwyn, and Nicholas Holt to discuss the film. The discussion was moderated by NYFF director Kent Jones. Let's go now to the conversation. I'll start with a broad question. Uh, Yorgos, what was it that drew you to this particular material? Uh, I guess when I initially came across it, it was um, the fact that it was a story about these three women uh, that uh, in a particular point in time had this kind of power, but also their characters and their personalities and how that affected um, a whole country or the fate of thousands uh, or millions of people. Um, So it just felt like an interesting uh, thing to explore. And the the comedy of it, you saw right away because it is a very dark-hearted comedy. Um, Yeah, yeah, I guess thinking about what would be the most interesting way to uh, approach this, um, well, I think humor in general is... Um, something that I can't get away from, no matter what the material is. Please um, don't try. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I guess, yeah, it was a given for me from the beginning. Mm-hmm. We'll open it up to questions from the audience right now. Thank you. Uh, my name is Ulkar, and my question pretty much to everyone. Um, the, the title of the film is a favorite, and I wonder, how did you everyone see what is the favorite, what is the major favorite of this, the character perhaps or the story in this movie is it like Sarah is a favorite or it is uh, Anne or it's a love or it's a lie that it is equivalent to love because it's there's more to the story and uh, perhaps you Mr. Yorgos get into deep into this of the favorite of this title and how everyone saw it that's a, that's a great big question. <laughs> Who's the favorite? Everybody Who's name the favorite? their favorite character in the movie. <laughs> no, not just the favorite in terms of the title, but in terms of the way you saw the characters. Um, I, I guess the whole point is exactly what you're expressing, that you know, we're looking for a favorite or how the favorite functions within this world um, and what it means and all that so obviously if we had a straightforward answer we wouldn't make this film maybe the screenwriter uh, Tony if you could maybe you know better (laughs) Um, no I think it's what Yorga said I mean it's a battle to be the favorite and it's a battle to be our favorite and you know it's a court which is sort of a contained world and so your power is sort of uh, I think Nick's character talks about favor is a sort of malleable thing, and it's a you know it's a wind that comes and goes. So the idea of all these people being subject to trying to be the favorite and trying to be in favor, and even Anne trying to find someone she's the favorite of, and um, it just seemed an interesting dynamic to us 
for a film and really complicated and um, so yeah. Firstly, thank you for a delicious film. Um, it was enjoyable on so many levels, very smart, very acerbic, very funny. Um, the question I have, um, and it's just something that's stuck in my mind because it kind of works as a visual metaphor for the film itself. How did you work on a set with that many rabbits running around? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an amazing textural detail and, and many productions would have just, just make them CG, it's easier. But you're dealing with a court, you're dealing with constantly shifting variables and you've got this perfect representation of it. But how did that affect um, uh, specifically uh, Ms. Stone, Ms. Coleman and Mr. Lantimos? Um, on, a day, on the days that you had to deal with the rabbits. I mean, like, was this, like, messing with you? Olivia. Uh, I, uh, CG rabbits wouldn't have been the same. It was... Um, I think it was fine, was it? But then I wasn't the one having to sort out any continuity. But um, it, it was lovely. Um, em and I are both mad animal lovers, so we had a lovely time. I could barely remember our lines on a day when it was a rabbit day. Um, and to try and keep them in the corner, because those rooms were vast. So there was a sort of a, a pen with lots of people holding up bits of cardboard to keep them in the camera bit of the room. Uh, I didn't see it as a problem, but then I wasn't the one having to sort anything out. It was, I loved it. No, actually, it was quite, I, I was surprised, but it was very simple. They just fell into place most of the times. The only thing we had to do, as Olivia said, was just to uh, restrict uh, where they were because it, they, they were huge rooms. Uh, but I thought it was going to be a nightmare, like it usually is with animals, but they just seemed to, you know, enjoying their, themselves, just hanging out, and it all fall in, fell into place. That's Emma has yeah, a remark duck, about the, the duck. The duck was yeah. more, more difficult to maneuver. And also, the rabbits ducks aren't were... house trained. They, they pee a lot. Yeah. So in that bed, Shit, you kept going, well. ooh, I can feel a wet patch. Ooh, they're all weeing. Hi, I was wondering if you could talk about the decision of using uh, wide angles for the movie. Uh, we haven't seen it a lot in this kind of genre, and I wanted to know if what, what, what was behind it. Um, yes. Uh, well, I mean, there's there's a couple of things, I guess. First of all, it's a it's it's a personal preference that I've been developing over the last few years and, and the last few films. Um, but uh, especially on this film, I think we went even more extreme because we felt that it it kind of, um, in a certain way, it kind of visually represented a lot of the themes of the film. The, the 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 lone human fig figures within those huge spaces, um, you know, the fact that so few people actually affect uh, a much vaster um, uh, world. Um, uh, the fact that although the spaces were huge, they were kind of distorted and felt quite claustrophobic at the same time. Um, so there, there were a lot of things that m made it um, seem uh, as the, the, the right thing. Um, and another thing was, like, I kind of remembered those um, um, Dutch paintings that, ev that were dated even, you know, in earlier centuries that had those convex mirrors um, painted in them and you could see the whole um, 
the whole space reflected, distorted in those mirrors. And so it, was, it also felt appropriately period in a way. That brings up the question of I'd like to hear from the actors about their reactions to seeing the finished film, because making the film would be one thing, but seeing it as a finished product, something very different. Emma, do you want to tell us how much you love the film? I do. Love there it. we go. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I really love it. No, I really, I did love it so much, but I also um, am a little, I, I love uh, being uh, obnoxious on set, figuring out what lenses they're using. Um, pretty consistently, so I knew that I knew what lenses were used throughout the movie. I just didn't know how it was all going to be pieced together. So it was pretty startling to see that much sort of wide angle. Um, but I knew that pretty much every master was going to be in that wide angle. So it's just it was fun to just and the music and the way and the chapters. That was the chapters weren't originally there. That was new, and it was just it, there was it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, Nicholas and Joe. I loved it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's brilliant. No, you know what? Uh, I, from reading the script and being there on the days that we were there, uh, you could sense this, you know, uh, insane world that the characters were a part of, and and the madness of that. But what I found really powerful was the things that I wasn't there to see being filmed, and these three leading ladies' performances, which were actually very tragic and heartbreaking, in amongst that, um, and how sad it was, and and the emotion that came from that. So that was. Uh, the big takeaway from me, because that, that's something that I wasn't witness to on set. I loved it too. Um, <laughs> yeah, l like uh, M said, I or and Nick, I was aware when you're there. I knew Yorgos was using these kind of fisheye lenses, but didn't really uh, get the full impression of what that was going to look like until obviously I saw it. So I knew he was creating a slightly skewed vision, but I had no. There was obviously no looking at the monitor or, or nothing. You know, like, like that. So until I saw it on on the screen and with these chapters and with, with the music, it was all um, it was all new to me. I had no idea what lenses they were using, <laughs> so I watched them and wow, cool. Do <laughs> yeah. somebody in the back? Anybody? Yeah, all the way in the back. A question for Emma Stone and Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, I wondered how much the hist history of the film mattered to you and if you had any sort of historical preparation. Was it like, did it really matter that this is an 18th century drama? Um, or was it just a story between three people? Um, I thought, I mean, it was historically very well situated, but I wondered in, in directing and Emma Stone in acting uh, if, it, uh, if it mattered to you. Why just me? <laughs> well, because the, the the historical character, the historical character that you play is pretty unique. I mean, obviously, all the actors can can answer, but the historical character you that want. you play is pretty unique. And uh, yes. Um. Well, I mean, I was the only American in, in the cast, and uh, so that I, I didn't really, you know, probably know the extent of, of British history. As my, I would think that you guys know, or no, they don't know either. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I did a bit of research. I read about Sarah and Queen Anne and um, the little that you can find about Abigail, but it, uh, the nature of their relationship wasn't really completely understood, and so I just sort of went with whatever they said. <laughs> yeah, trust us, it's true, it's all true. <laughs> no, but the, the, the reality was that we, um, the, the, the historical aspect of it and the 
whatever facts or uh, we knew or uh, are assumed about the period, uh, we we took them as a starting point, um, and then we were just interested in creating this particular world and this story around these three women, and not be necessarily loyal to the specific events or um, uh, the, the specific politics of the time. We, we tried to actually simplify that part of it. So we, we, we would focus more on the characters and through them understand um, in a way that it's relevant to any period how you know people in such positions according to their character, behavior, mood, can actually affect um, uh, uh, very important events in history. So uh, we focused on whatever we thought was necessary and interesting for us to tell that kind of story. And then, you know, we, uh, we veered off uh, in many different directions from there. That dance routine was a little kind of dancing with the stars, like, what made you choi choose that uh, style? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, should I? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess it was one uh, we we tried to use uh, quite a few uh, contemporary elements in the film. Uh, one of them was uh, dance and uh, the phys the physicality in general uh, of the characters and the actors. Um, but we just felt like we in in sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes not so much, uh, that we would uh, incorporate textures that felt more contemporary starting even with the language uh, from, from the script stage, uh, we, we didn't try and make the people sound the way we thought they sounded like back then, or the way we assume they spoke. Um, uh, so from that, from making that decision, using more contemporary language, uh, the dance, the costumes, um, that we were, we, we um, tried to stay loyal to the shapes of the period, but then used quite a few contemporary uh, fabrics and textures to music that is sometimes true to the period and sometimes quite contemporary. Uh, so there were all these elements that we were using uh, to add a more contemporary texture to the film. I'd actually like to hear more about the costumes because they're visually striking, but also seem very desperately to inform the character. Do we have the costumer here? Yeah. That's super exciting. All right. That's rad. I'd love to hear about the costumes, but I also want to hear how that informed your performances. <laughs> Sorry, could you repeat the, the bit about what, what do you want me to answer? Um, I, honestly, I'd love to hear anything about the costumes, but the costumes are so visually full of details and seem to inform the characters so lovely that I'd like to kind of hear about how that came about and then from the actor's perspective, how it informed your performance to be in those costumes. Strangely, um, the costumes don't have a great deal of detail. For that period, it's, it's a lot more elaborate um, looking period and due to sort of financial and time restrictions I decided to strip all that back and and also sort of for the style of the film so 
what the costumes are are really um, basically they're historically correct for the cut. Then, as Yorgos mentioned before, um, I use contemporary fabrics. I used uh, things like African print fabrics that you probably don't notice, and and stripped away all the decoration and sort of made it the bare bones. And in terms of how they work with the characters, I don't know. That just happens with the actors and during fittings. Sort of characters come from from what we're doing during fittings, don't they? Actors. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That was well. I, I had never worn a corset before, and I think that that added, um, I mean, other than, you know, I've, what I've said about it's harder to breathe, it also does inform you uh, to the time period, the kind of restriction on women, you know, needing to lace yourself into that and, and that you have to stand in a certain way and walk in a certain way in order to be able to stay upright, really, um, was, was a pretty, I felt like that was helpful. Um, you know, and as we moved up, also, Sadie's costumes, my first costume was denim. It was like salvage denim, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, all, yeah. All, all the costumes in the kitchen, all the kitchen staff were made from old jeans. Like all the women's corsets Which were was old so jeans cool. And up. there was so much leather. There was a lot of laser cut leather, like in the, you know, and so there were these really contemporary um, fabrics. But as we moved up and all, in it, you know, in the black and white, basically, for the most part, and the, how it got so elaborate and the hair pieces and everything. I don't know. I thought it was, and I don't know if that's just especially for Abigail, because she, it's so defined. My, you know, rise is so defined by wh what she's wearing. Um, yeah, I thought it was incredibly helpful. And I, uh, um, I didn't have to wear tight corsets, which was very nice. <laughs> so, um, and often I was in a nighty for yeah, a lot I mean, of the yeah, time. Olivia's costume, yeah, which was brilliant. Um, but the bulk of it then, with the ceremonial costumes, the weight of those costumes really helps to inform ugh, how awful it must have been to stand still for any length of time and you know, carry around a few extra stone of fabric. Um, that, that's just for the ceremonial. Ceremonial robes are always like that. And but I, I think yes, that's the same velvet now. dressing gown and nighties. That was I had the best. I felt very sorry for them turning up, not really being able to breathe. I was fine and eating cake and having a lovely time. <laughs> Sandy Powell, everybody. My question is for Olivia. Um, I was just wondering, um, because your character is sort of like an overgrown teenager in, in a way, and, uh, <laughs> and I was just wondering, like, what was your process in developing that character? I don't, I don't really have a process. <laughs> Maybe I'm just like a big overgrown teen. Um, uh, it's just enormously fun. And then when you get that script and, and Yorgos you know, says, kind of do whatever you want. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no process, I'm afraid. We had a rehearsal period. You oh, I'm so sorry, we did. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of process involved and a lot of rehearsal. So sorry. <laughs> no, we did. Which was very silly, but we did do that. We did. Oh, no, that's true. Yes, we did all of that. Sorry, you should always ask your goss. Don't ask me any questions. <laughs> Yes. Yes, you. Right there in the middle. Uh, wait for the microphone. Don't do anything until that microphone comes. There you go. 
Hi, this is a question for Jorgos and the screenwriter and anyone else who'd like to chime in. Uh, what scene would you say is the emotional center of the film? And uh, especially for the actors, what was it like uh, to shake this film off emotionally? Tony? Um, the emotional center of the film. Good Lord. Um, this is what I have to yeah. deal with. <laughs> I don't really know. I think in a way maybe it's when um, I'm sort of randomly, I, we, didn't, we didn't really focus on one, but if I, I think that moment when um, Anne sees the kids playing their instruments and drifts away from Abigail and that leads into the dance and that connects them in a much bigger way, but it also shows a sort of deeper sense of Anne's tragedy and sort of... Um, how mentally sort of unstable she is at times. That that's a kind of key scene, I suppose, for me anyway, in writing it. Um, that is all. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I couldn't have answered that question because um, I think you know ma making a film and especially with three main characters, it's such a it has such a journey and such a, is such a process and it depends for every different person how they experience the film and um, how they engage with it and so I think it, it, it is and should be a different thing for each person uh, and I, I wouldn't really know. Then the other part of the question was how the actors let go of playing these characters, and I would imagine that for every actor, that's a very different kind of answer. Um, just to do uh, with you. <laughs> um, we just did. Yeah. <laughs> we just let it go. Except for the thing was, I mean, at least for me, I, we had spent so much time together, our, we all spent so much time together that I was incredibly sad when it was over. Because <laughs> I just wanted to be with everybody still. I did feel genuinely quite bereft at the end of the filming. I think we are probably going to be friends for life. I know people say that a lot, but I, don't, I think it's probably bollocks a lot of the time. But I, uh, we really did have a genuinely lovely time, didn't we? In fact, Yorgos sort of set that up, I suppose, because those weeks of rehearsal um, <laughs> and playing meant we get, you know, we got to <laughs> see. I'm recovering now. I'm pulling it back. Um, uh, did mean that we could all be unembarrassed in front of each other and play and become really good friends, which was lovely. Nicholas and Joe, do you want to chime in? In terms of finishing, uh, I mean, it didn't feel like it, it wasn't a big kind of an emotional part to cleanse myself of at the end. Um, it was just sad finishing. It was such a fun shoot to be a part of with such an amazing, brilliant group of people um, and such a refreshing, different project uh, to what I normally read or, or, or do. Uh, I just had so much fun. So it was just sad letting go. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's, the process was so different to what I'd experienced in terms of the rehearsal period, even right from the audition, actually, with Yorgos. I was like, this is bizarre. Um, and it carried on throughout the whole filming in a great way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we all got to know each other really well. We'd dance every morning and get into tangles with each other and all sorts of weird things that, like, it just makes you, yeah, very fast friends um, and very close friends in a brilliant way. So, um, and in terms of the character, I do want to go back to the costumes very quickly because Sandy would very kindly teach me to walk in heels, which was very difficult, and that was probably the most perilous thing for me. I'm not very good at that. What was the bizarre part of the audition? 
Well, there was a scene that I was still not, didn't really know that well, and then Yorgos would uh, ask me to hum whilst the person I was reading with would say their lines, and then I had to imagine imaginary force fields around the room and like sculpt them and things and sculpt the person I was reading with but not he let it, it affect just to make how I would laugh. do it was one of those ones where you walked out and you were like I did everything and I feel I don't know if they're just laughing at me but um, and not let it affect how you say the dialogue as well and it, there were lots of games like that through rehearsals as well which is um, I'm not sure entirely how it affects the performance you can maybe Shed more light. Well, I have no idea. <laughs> just doing whatever comes to my head. I was just asking him if I could tell about my audition because I needed. I, I auditioned for Yorgos, and he he had me breathe like pant, like I was giving birth, just throughout the lines. And then there were times where I would just like take pauses in the wrong place. He just. I think he just does this to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Not the birth part. <laughs> That was exclusively me. <laughs> One more question. Yep, right here. Yeah. Just. Thanks, everyone. So my question is, um, first for the screenwriter um, and how um, you two worked together and the involvement that the actors had. Was there any improvisation? Did you stick close to the script? How did that evolve? Thank you. Um, how did we work together? Um, we have a lot of lunches. Most of our work is done over lunch, at the end of lunch. Um, I don't know. I mean, coffee. we coffee. We, over coffee, we do notes and talk. But we just talk about, like, I live in Australia, and so I would, you know, we would do Skypes, or I would come to London, and we would just spend a week or two having lunch and walking around and talking about the script. And the Rome. then we went to Rome for a week, and we wandered around and had lunch and talked about the script during another week and then I would deliver drafts and then we would just go through them and um, it was sort of like, I think we knew, it was always, we were on the same page very fast when we first talked about it and um, we sort of always sort of were going, sort of knew where we were heading and with this tragic comedy and very complicated characters that we were driving towards and... Um, yeah, we just, I mean, it's, it doesn't feel like work. We mostly seem to be just eating, and then a few weeks later there's a script, um, and then we plan our next lunch. Um, so we, we worked like that, really. And, uh, and then once Yorgos is happy with the script, he's pretty solid with the script. Not much changes once we have happy, we're like, this is good, this is good, this is good. Uh, but, you know, you guys can talk more about that. No, I, I guess we, uh, we were around during rehearsals as well and we saw how certain things work or don't and we changed a couple of things. Um, but other than that, I mean, when we felt that, uh, that the script has a very particular tone, so when you think you get it right, you feel that it's right, you just try to go with it and I think it helps the actors as well. And any kind of improvisation was mostly physical or the way we staged the scenes and uh, you know maybe we added a couple of lines here and there like um, there's that scene where you scream at the <laughs> at, at that lovely little page um, and you know as the scene unfolds you go up you know we, we might go like why don't you add that or but not much other than that I think 
Um, but yeah, it's it's all about figuring out how the scene is set up and uh, how you can change it in order to um, make it work better. Because uh, you might have thought something different, but it doesn't really work the same way when you're actually there and um, going through it. Um, that's all the time we have. I want to thank you for making such a terrific movie for us to open with. Thank you, everybody. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a non-profit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>